listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And our topic of discussion today is thought. Um, I mean, we all do it, right? We're all thinking, well, I guess maybe that's debatable if we're all thinking or not. Uh, fun fact, for those who don't know, not everyone can hear their own voice in their head. Um, that's a thing. Uh, I learned it a while back, and I like to use it to uh, kind of give people a perspective change when they think about others is that not everyone can hear their thoughts in their their mind and their mind space inside their head they either have to verbalize them or uh, maybe some people see in pictures it's it's being studied but it's really not well documented just yet and i find it fascinating that you know there's a, a subset of the population that literally cannot hear their own voice in their own head there's just nothing or something else um it, it brings up a lot of things to discuss, but maybe we'll get into them a little bit today. But today's topic is thought. And as always, I like to start off with a definition from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. You're going to use Merriam-Webster's because I like it. I like the way it's laid out. I like the definitions they give. Um, and it's pretty commonly the number one um, search result when you, you know, I think even Google uses Merriam-Webster when it actually throws up its definitions for stuff. So... Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, uh, definition of the full definition of thought, I should class, clarify that. Uh, something that is thought, such as an individual act or product of thinking, a developed intention or plan, something, such as an opinion or belief in the mind, the intellectual product or the organized views and principles of a period, place, group, or individual, uh, the action or process of thinking. Well, okay, so... As always, you know, there's going to be more to something. If we go to the definition of thinking, that one's actually pretty short here. Uh, the action of using one's mind to produce thoughts. Well, that's, that's pretty, um, pretty straightforward, right? What if we look at just think? Just the idea of think. Because this uh, podcast is called Taming Hindrances. And that's actually a shortened idea of a process I came up with a long time ago that never really... I've never really moved it into fruition, but it, it was um, just this idea called taming hindrances in neural kinetics. And that was the acronym there is think. And again, taming hindrances in neural kinetics or taming hindrances. Neural kinetics would be uh, a fun way of talking about the, you know, electrical signals that bounce around in your brain that create thought. Cause that's what our brains do. We use electrical signaling to tell the body to do stuff or to have thought processes in our head. And there's this thing in the center of our brains between the two hemispheres known as the corpus callosum, um, corpus callosum, 
Corpus Callosum, that is just a giant electric storm constantly. It's it's sending signals between the two hemispheres of the brain. That's the centerpiece, the Corpus Callosum. So we have the definitions of think, and uh, there's many of these. I mean, like if you go to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, uh, Merriam-Webster.com, um, and look up think, there's a bunch. The, the, the transitive verb is to form or have in mind, to have as an intention, to devise by thinking. Uh, the intransitive verb is to exercise the power of judgment, conception, or inference. Uh, to have a view or opinion, the noun is the obviously the act of thinking, and we talked about the definition of thinking. But thought as a subject, and thought as a subject when we talk about mental health and you know depression and self awareness and self help and all these other things that I go on and on about, and, you know I try to wax poetically at times. What is the world of thought when we think about ourselves? Well, it's the topic of self-awareness is this understanding of thought. It's, it's how are you thinking? What's happening in your mind? What can you describe the process of your thinking? Can you describe your thought process? And I think when we get into that level of in-depth thinking on ourselves, so thinking on thought, we start to see some of the breakdown of what I would consider the group and more of the revelation of the individual. When we really get into our thought processes, how did you come up with that idea? Where is this opinion coming from? You know, if we go into uh, the beginning of this podcast, the the first couple episodes, uh, specifically episodes one through 14, Remembering that seven and 14 are culmination points of the previous um, six episodes that culminate into that seventh one. We have things like, you know, in the beginning, I talked about education and belief and language and those types of things, relationships, emotions. When we really dive into, okay, what is your thought process on your beliefs? How did you come up with them? How do you think about them? Is it like a nagging voice in the back of your head when it comes to like, oh, you know, I believe this or I believe that, moral and ethical dilemmas, those types of things. What's your thought process on relationships? Do you, do you think about those things constantly? Um, I personally have in multiple occasions really sat down and been um, maybe bombarded by my own self on, you know, dude, did you just like, say that out loud? Did you, oh man, what were you thinking when you did that action? I get this anxiety presence. I guess it's, you know, what we would generally define as anxiety or, or an anxiety, maybe attack in some cases. I don't know if it's ever gotten to that extreme, but I can definitely see where others maybe do this. And I've, I've spoken to some people uh, who have this kind of process where they really go into this almost spiral state when they're thinking about actions they took, things they said, um, sequences of, of events that happened. It used to get so bad for me that I could have a situation happen. And just because of my own chemical makeup and how my body reacts, sometimes I have a, or not sometimes, kind of all the time, I'm prone to having overactive adrenal cortex rushes, which just means I produce a bunch of norepinephrine and I get hype. 
Um, my body goes into fight or flight for me is n- normally always just fight. Um, I don't like to fight. Remember, I'm a martialist. I've studied warfare. I'm not big on violence. I would call myself a pacifist if it wasn't for the fact that I, I don't mind getting involved if I have to. But if I don't, I'm really just not going to. Um, but my body does get this, like, extreme norepinephrine rush. And I get a smaller effect of that after the fact. Like, it takes a really long time for my norepinephrine and my adrenal cortex rushes to wear off. Um, I often have to, like, do a breathing exercise or I have to intervene in some way because it's just how my body reacts to things. Probably from some trauma in my, my childhood. But that spiral that I can get into that is just fueled by this anxiety feeling of norepinephrine and low dose of serotonin, low dose of dopamine, high level of cortisol happening, stress hormone, is always, it it always happens after or continues to happen after, like I've experienced some sort of, mm, uh, I don't really have a great description for it because it's too personal to me to like give you a very good description. But if you've ever been in a situation where kind of your nerves get a little heightened and you get a little adrenaline rush, anything can cause it. Maybe if it's an argument or a a physical altercation, um, even just watch something that was like, just kind of like, whoa, everybody chill out. Like that type of thing. As a bouncer, it would happen a lot where I would get into an altercation with someone and it's my job, you know, as a, when I was a bouncer to you know, be the one who physically solved the situation. But I would have to like spend all night when I got home or early morning at this point, but spend all these time, all this time getting it out of my mind or just running it over and over and over and over again, just to get rid of it out of my mind so that I could go to bed or just stop thinking about it. But I would replay the scenes constantly, even like minor incidents where like, Somebody just got uppity with the bartender and I had to be like, all right, you got to go. You got to pay your bill. Let's go. And they didn't really fight back. They might've mouthed off a little bit, but like, I didn't have to get physical with them. I just kind of, you know, hands up, walk them to the door. Like, come on, come on. You got to go. And you know, you get them outside and they're mouthing off, mouthing off. And it's just like one of those moments where it's like, all right, did I handle this right? Should have I gotten physical with them? Like would have taught them a lot. Like you just run these things in your mind over and over and over again. And I think that is the realm of anxiety and people have panic attacks and it's all this, it's this world of the mind. And I've talked before about how in antiquity we have multiple health bodies. We have the physical health body and we have the mind, which is the translation point to the higher or other or spiritual, whatever you want to call it. And I sometimes wonder how much control we have over that. Are we fully in control of our thought processes? Is that, you know, because we have the subconscious mind, correct? Like that's a thing. Psychiatry talks about the subconscious mind and its faculties and its, its things that are processing. And we have to think about the nervous system as a whole. And there is the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous seat, which is um, side of the nervous system, which is known as the autonomous nervous system or the side of the nervous system you really don't control. Like you don't have to think about telling your heart beat, 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 beat. Like you don't have to do that. You don't have to always tell yourself, oh, breathe. Okay, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. The autonomous nervous system takes care of that because it's part of living. It's part of surviving. It's part of the system working. And this is where I get into my thoughts on 
when we have these faculties and in the physical health body, the, the material world, the materium, the world of, you know, physical form, if you want to, you know, talk about the metaphysic sides of it, that world has both a autonomous and non-autonomous or an active nervous system. And those two things dictate the idea we're not fully in control as far as the outcome of the physical form because the physical form really isn't completely ours. There is a plethora of bacteria and cells and other microorganisms that create these human bodies we walk around in. And many philosophers and religious schools and just about everybody has had the occasion where it's like, am I a consciousness? Am I, what am I? What is this thing as a body? What, is there a spirit, a soul? What's going on here? I think that's an important conversation to have with yourself or others and, you know, figure out what you believe there. Remember when I talked about belief all the way back in episode three or beliefs, um, but, or even episode 10, when I talk about perspective and just how you, how you generally intake information and then form a, a, a process of thought with it before that though, there's this extrapolation of what is just thought. Because if I have these two nervous system paths, one that I control, one that I really don't, or can have some interaction with, taking control of your breathing gives you kind of control over the autonomous nervous system. But the whole endocrine system, all these things that are just doing their jobs, like digestion. I'm not telling my stomach, hey, digest, eat energy. I've just supplied it with food. And then the digestion process, the peristalsis, which is you digesting things, it just happens. Just it just figures it out. Well, that's the body having its own faculties and doing its own thing. So I'm not really in control of that, but like I have some control over it. Okay. Well, in that vein of thinking, that line of thinking, that trajectory, we come to a, a stopgap point of how much control do I have over the body? Is it really mine? And Many people have written about it. You know, there's Iamblichus. Uh, I think I've talked about before. Iamblichus uh, wrote The Vehicle of the Soul. Not the most easy read, but an interesting one nonetheless. And, you know, other, the Stoics talk about it. Almost everybody out there when writing about consciousness talks about some level of control over the human system and how there isn't a fully defined functionality between this is me this is not me. We just kind of agree to say, no, the body's mine, right? I own it. I control it. I can tell it to do things. I can wave my arms. I can poke things. I can, you know, tell it to walk here, walk there. I can shake my head back and forth. I can brush my beard. I can, you know, think. But then we get into that differentiation of the physical form and the mental body. And we don't often, well, in today's modern society, we very rarely ever spend any time thinking about the mental form or the mental world state, the mental materium, the space of the mind. 
And that is the space of thought. That's where thought occurs. Thought occurs in this like void in between our ears that we just kind of, most people that I've spoken to usually picture it as a space in their head. You know, you can think about your hand, but have you ever thought about having thoughts in your hand? Do the thoughts occur there or do they occur in the mind? And actually this is something most Shaolin monks have to have the quandary of. They have to have the, the training of you can move your thinking outside of where you think it is. You can move your thoughts outside of your mind. And in fact, modern science tells us that we have quite a few brain cells, which are, this, you know, we have brain cells in the brain, but we also have quite a few brain cells throughout the rest of the body. Actually, we have a ton of brain cells in the stomach. The stomach lining is full of brain cells. So the whole nervous system is actually designed so that the central nervous system, the brain, spinal column, and the uh, 13 cranial nerves don't have to do all of the menial tasks. I mean, we've almost based our entire society off of a reworking of how the brain works. You have a central control unit and then a bunch of other tasks that we just kind of place on the other factors at the end of the lines. Just, Hey, I need you to figure that out because I got bigger things to think about. Well, in Shaolin training, uh, there's this thing known as one finger Chan or Chan. And I think I've spoken about the difference between Zen Buddhism and Chan Buddhism, but Chan as an idea um, is complex and maybe I'll get into it another time. It's not really important here. What I want to talk about is one finger Chan and one finger Chan is an awareness of how much control we have inside of a finger. And it's this training method. It's done multiple different ways. But one of the methods is to poke a bag um, with a finger every day. Usually you put the bag, uh, you hang it. It's almost like a, like a mini punching bag for the finger. Um, you hang it at a doorway that you're going to enter and exit multiple times a day. And every time you walk past it, you give it a jab. That's the beginning of the training. The end of the training um, can go to obscene levels. People did train it for years and years and years and years that do you really need to poke the bag? Because the idea is you put all of your thought process in that moment in the tip of your finger and then you poke the bag. You actually, I mean, some people strike it, but I learned the opposite of that, which was the defensive nature of one finger Chan, which was you eventually learn because I'm a very logical person. You learn that all blocking structures in martial combative form where the hand and arm are involved can be manipulated and changed by the outcome of the index finger or specifically the thought process of where the index finger is moving, flexing, how hard it's flexing, how, how relaxed it is. Um, that has scientific backing in the fascial system and the tendons of the extensors and flexors of the forearm because of the intention, how hard I flex back on my finger and I pull back while I'm blocking creates dynamic tension into that block. It's like you're waxing 
poetically on martial arts again and you're getting lost. I know. There's a reason behind this. So I've spent years learning one finger chan in a defensive nature. I could have done it in the offensive nature, but Shaolin monks for years, upon years, upon years, the history of Shaolin monks have practiced one form of this or another. And that idea is to take the awareness of thought out of the head, unless you're doing headstands, then you want to put it at the tip of the head, but take it out of where we consider most of our thoughts occurring, which is inside our brain or inside our skull and moving it away from there to an axial or a, a somewhere other than the mind space. Axial is uh, your hands, arms, legs outside the core, the trunk of the body. That's axial and doing something with it, doing some sort of thought process with it. Now, once you learn this, you're actually practicing something known as Qigong. And Qigong is, um, there's Neigong and Qigong. Neigong is external action. Qigong is internal action or way or force. And to master Qi, you eventually learn, and there's a bunch of poor definition out there. So Qi gets this whole uh, mystical idea and that, you know, like Qigong is this mystical, no, it's a health practice. And the, translations we have nowadays are getting better, but they really don't do it justice. And so I'm not going to get into that whole world, but the idea of one finger John or this moving your awareness of thought out of the skull space, out of the, where we think thoughts are happening and into something else is the practice of thought predecesses X. What we typically say is thought predecesses chi and chi predecesses blood. So as I think about my palm and I move my awareness of thought into my palm, I can then move my chi there. And by moving my chi there, blood will then flow there as well. And this is how, this is the basic understanding of how chi practice works. The same thing occurs in key practice. Now, when I talk about systems, I always talk about how, you know, if you're going to learn a system, you got to work inside the system and then eventually you'll master a system, you'll master yourself, and then you can create your own systems. Well, there are commonalities. One of the commonalities in all energy work, quote unquote, or all of these, you know, I don't know, extra sensory healing. There's a bunch of, topics I could get into on this world, but well, on this vein of thought, but not important because I'm going to get on a soapbox and I shouldn't do that right now. But Reiki, Qigong, Prana healing, or uh, those who do um, yogic, true yogic meditations with Prana, which is your chakra system. These are all systems working inside of taking your thought. Or one of the principles of them is taking your thought process and your awareness of where you're thinking and moving it somewhere else. And by doing so, you are then predecessing whatever quote unquote energy you want to use into that system. And then from there, things will happen. One of the things that happens in the bioelectric field of the body, which we actually have measured in science and studied, all MRIs are using magnetic resonance and that resonance is reading bioelectric fields we move and when we move our consciousness quote unquote 
or where we're thinking awareness into another part of the body, we're predecessing when it comes to the bioelectric field, the body then sending that area more blood. This creates heat in the palm, which is the most measurable thing. You know, if someone, a Qigong practitioner or a Reiki practitioner, people usually say like, oh, your palms are so warm. They're always so warm. That's because they're sending their awareness outward. Now, I studied a system called Hekiboning Chun, and um, that's the Black Flag Wing Chun Society. And one of the things they really were very specific about is uh, tips of fingers, being very aware of the tips of the fingers. This was just another one of those practices. And you can see it throughout all sorts of different things. Individuals in sports who are more aware of the tool they're using and kind of think of the tool like, oh, the bat is just an extension of my arm or, you know, those types of things. Um, You actually do it every day of your life without necessarily having to think about it. When was the last time you became aware of your shirt or your dress or the shoes you're wearing, your socks, your undergarments? When was the last time you just like generally like, oh yeah, I'm wearing a shirt. What does that feel like? I have a shirt on. No, you just kind of wear the shirt and then the shirt just kind of becomes like an extra piece of the skin. And it, you can, you know, you can tell when something brushes against your shirt or when the wind's, you know, moving it. It's almost like another layer to the skin there. Thus, it's almost like an extension of your body. One of the things we use in martial arts is you can learn a, a skill known as listening and listening skills when it comes to a martial situation allow you to listen to someone else's body when you're in contact with it or sometimes when you're not in contact with it and react accordingly. Vice versa, the subterfuge version of that, which is what I learned, is to have someone wear you like a shirt. When you make contact with them, there is a methodology using one finger chan or awareness or thought projection into where you're working to instead of contacting someone forcefully to have their body react to a attack to allow their body to relax and be like, Oh, this isn't a threat. So like, it's just like wearing a shirt and thus you can manipulate their body doing that. As a massage therapist, I use that skill regularly when working with my clients. I don't want my clientele to go through, you know, unnecessary pain when I'm working through an uh, adhesion, which you commonly refer to as knots or, you know, a fascial banding situation where their fascia might be banded a little bit and I need to break it apart, you know, a tight muscle, those types of things. I want them to have the lowest amount of pain, but the most effect. That's kind of the balance I'm trying to figure out. And I can do that by getting their body to not think like, oh man, this person's hurting me. I should lock up and I should tense up. Instead, I can do different actions and I can, you know, almost like have them quote unquote, wear my hands like another garment um, so that they don't feel like they just feel their body, not them personally, their mind, but their body goes, Oh, this isn't a threat. This is, you know, this is helpful. I, I, you know, okay. I can listen to what's happening here. I like to say as a massage therapist, I don't heal anyone, I'm not a healer. I don't do any of that. I just remind people's bodies what's going on. Like, Hey, there's a problem here. You should remember about that. Get more blood flow, break up the tissue. That's, you know, becoming stuck together or adhesed, which is why we call them adhesions and, you know, figure yourself out. So 
stopping that tangent and kind of bringing ourselves back to thought, the idea where we start to take our mental space, as I, I kind of like to call it, and project it into different places is the whole realm of psi, you know, PSI that, you know, whatever you want to think about it. There's people who do out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, um, out-of-body experience, remote viewing, what else? Um, you know, telekinetics, if you want to get into that kind of stuff. But that type of research has been done by the CIA even. And so there's this world of research about how powerful is the mind and what can you do with it. Now, I've experienced it when in the Eastern practices. Um, if you find an extremely powerful chi practitioner, you might find someone who's really into doing chi healing. And that person is... Uh, they're doing something mentally. And if you've ever seen it or experienced it, a, a, a Qigong master can do some crazy stuff with quote unquote chi or energy. But really when you, you get into the deep parts of it and you talk to them enough, you learn it's an awareness thing. They've moved their awareness out of their mind or mind space into the material in some way to manipulate it. Well, that's kind of what we study when we study out-of-body experiences and remote viewing. It's commonly referred to as projecting the consciousness. Now, I have a problem with that. I don't believe thinking is consciousness because there's too much control there. So if we look at someone like uh, Descartes, um, quoted very commonly, Descartes said, Cogito, uh, Cogito ergo sum. Um, and cogito ergo sum is, I think, therefore I am. That's the direct translation. Well, kind of a poor, but direct translation. So Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. But what if I thought I wasn't? Do I stop existing? Debatable. Going back to what I said at the very beginning of this podcast, how some people can hear their thoughts in their mind and others, there's a, a subset of the populace who cannot hear their own thinking or their own voice in their head. I, I don't necessarily agree or disagree other than I think there's a, a dissimilarity between consciousness and thinking. I think therefore I am. Well, obviously we can see there's a subset of populace who don't hear their own thoughts or have that ability. Does that mean they don't exist? I can touch them physically and I can see them. So no, doesn't mean they're not conscious. Maybe. And I don't want to harp on anybody because I don't know enough about it, but I do think a form and factor of self-awareness comes from the ability of being able to hear your own thoughts. And I can't remember being young and not being able to hear my own conscious stream of thinking. I can tell you, though, I do think it has gotten or increased as I've gotten older. And I think it's been practiced. The fact that I constantly think I don't, I'm not wanting to sit down and watch, um, you know, stupid TV. I shouldn't say stupid. If you want to sit down and watch TV and that's your just your relaxed time, and it's some shitty, you know, show, whatever, reality TV, whatever. I don't, I don't really care. But I, I'm not one to do that. I, I never really watched reality TV, didn't care about it. I don't 
you know, I will sit down and watch a movie and I, I really like, you know, just getting into a movie, but there's rarity in the case of when my mind is not actually having some sort of conscious stream of thinking, even when I'm in that escapism of watching a movie, my brain's still active. There's still this conscious stream happening. So am I saying that people who can't hear their thoughts in their head are not conscious? I guess to some degree, maybe, because I, I don't think we understand that enough. I am leaning towards the idea that maybe if someone can't hear their own thought processes or a conscious dream of thinking, that Descartes has maybe right. I think therefore I am, but that's a faculty of consciousness and not of thought itself. And I think we need to make a separation kind of like we make a separation with squares and rectangles. All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. So I like to say, I think therefore I am, but I thought I wasn't because in doing that, we give the power to the nature of thought. And I believe it's a faculty of self-awareness to push yourself to develop that ability and then strengthen that ability as an ability. Thinking, thought, the process thereof, is an ability. And we get to exercise that ability, and we should exercise that ability, which is why this is called Taming Hindrances, because that comes from Taming Hindrances in Neurokinetics, or an acronym of THINK. So I've spent a lot of time just figuring out ways to make people think. One of those was to take the connotation out of things. Like I like to take the connotation out of depression and I just allow it to be a thing, another tool we can use, a unique descriptor of how someone's mind intakes information and uses it. And thusly, I come to this idea of thought, is a faculty or I use faculty a lot. I should stop doing that. Thought is a process of creation. Is it not by having a thought process or a stream of, of consciousness, quote unquote, a stream of thought. I think we are in a process of creation and that creation can beget actual consciousness. So yes, I am kind of saying that an individual who might not be able to hear their own thinking may not be fully aware of their consciousness. Not that they're not a person or, you know, they don't have rights or, you know, they're not a real human being. I'm not saying that. These are clearly real human beings. But they may not have the tools yet or the full faculty of awareness. And by that nature, it's hard to get them to self-awareness. Because maybe they just haven't been given the tools. They haven't been taught yet. They don't have a good enough understanding of the way they think. And I think that's a huge thing. I think we do all children a disservice by not giving them a better understanding of how their minds work, of how thinking occurs, what makes sense to them, what doesn't make sense to them. You know, to give them more processes of like, Hey, does one plus one, the symbol for one plus the symbol for one equal the symbol for two? Is that how your mind's working? 
or does one dot plus another dot equal two dots? So, you know, logical versus creative. Not the left hemisphere for by right hemisphere idea because we're always using both hemispheres. More so, what's your dominant hemisphere? Like, how do you, what's your dominant way of taking in information? Is it logical or is it creative? I think there's a correlation there between eye dominance because everyone does have a dominant eye. That's proven. Not so much the correlation to, well, not so much the hemisphere domination because, again, we're always using both hemispheres. That's a known fact now. Anyone who's like, oh, you know, you use your left brain more than your that's no, you're constantly using both unless you have some, you know, thing, uh, some, I don't want to call it a disorder, but some physical ailment or uh, mental process, well, not mental, um, chemical process that's stopping you from doing so. And that's the realm of major depressive disorder, as I've talked about in the depression episode, about how, you know, that's its own psychological evaluation and medical evaluation situation. There are people who just have bad chemical, re- well, not bad, but have different chemical reactions that maybe stop them from having an awareness of, you know, their mental states. You get bipolar, you get anxiety attacks, panic attacks, all these different things have a chemical reaction nature in the brain. So where can we use thought a little bit better to better understand those? And how can we teach children or those individuals who maybe haven't gotten that stream of consciousness yet, which I believe is part of self-awareness, what, what do they need to know? Well, they might need to know that, hey, you might have a dominant eye. And that dominant eye, because of how the brain's wired to the visual cortex, left eye is right hemisphere, right eye is left hemisphere, might give you a more dominantly logic or creative understanding of things. And that's to say that if you're, I believe, no, I'm going to get this backward because I always freaking get it backwards. But uh, left eye is right hemisphere, but left eye is logic because your right hemisphere does logical thinking. Right eye creative, but because it's your left hemisphere and your left hemisphere does more of the creative thinking. So right eye creative, left hemisphere, left eye logical, uh, right hemisphere. So, Again, we have that corpus callosum, um, that thing right down the middle between the two hemispheres, which is a giant electrical storm sending information back and forth. But you might have a dominant eye, and that dominant eye might just be the reason you see things more logically or see things more creatively. And having that understanding might be like an aha moment for some people to be like, oh, I'm totally way more logically minded than I am creatively minded. I'm one of those people. But I've also learned that if I change my eye, my dominance of eye, and there's ways to do that, um, it's actually something the Shaolin monks teach themselves is how to uh, go from if you're using your right eye, logic, well, I'm sorry, right eye, if you're using your left eye and being more logical, you can shift your visual preference to your right eye and then look at things more creatively. It's a process you can teach yourself to do, and that the Shaolin monks do that. That's where I learned it, was through my martial training in uh, Shaolin martial arts. But that process could be taught just about anybody, and it might explain ways of shifting our 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 awareness, shifting our processing of information. But it, what it did for me was really drive home a self-awareness idea of this idea of thought 
and how thought I believe is different to consciousness. Everyone has the ability to think more so than, you know, not when it comes to, you know, children are doing thinking and people are, you know, there's this thing of thinking and, and thought and thought I believe is a, is a, a idea of creation. It's and remember how I talk about the primordials and how, you know, chaos and order and order begets creation. So thought is a, it's an order. It's a, it's an ordering simulation. We order things together to create thought processes, theories, plans, ideas, all of these things. And by doing so we exercise consciousness because that's what consciousness is. It's this, it's this faculty of or ability to think it's, it's, that's part of consciousness. Descartes, I think therefore I am, but I thought I wasn't It's the piece I always add to it. And if you, if you make that correlation, it gives thought power, right? So we have the power of thought and that's all metaphysics and all the breathy guru douchebags out there want to be like, Oh, the power of thought. And you know, not understanding really how this all works. And I'm not saying everyone's wrong in that field. There's just a lot of people you shouldn't trust. Even me being one of them. Like I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professional. Take everything I say with a grain of salt. Do your own research. Do your own thinking. That's really all I'm here to do is make you think. I say that almost every episode now. But there are people out there that tout like the, the power of thinking, the power of positive thought. Is there some truth to that? Absolutely. Are there a bunch of people out there trying to grift you to get your money? Yes, absolutely. That's the majority of it, which is why we fight this uphill battle against the idea of thoughts have power. We should research this more. We should look into telekinesis. We should look into psi abilities or, you know, parapsychology and all these different things. We should look into that seriously with actual scientific endeavors. Because yes, the human mind is very, very powerful. A bunch of people ruined it though. A bunch of people were like, I can talk to the spirits and I could do a seance and I could roll around in my grass and tell you what your dog's thinking. And that's all bullshit because they're just idiots who want your money and have nothing better to do or no other skills. And probably are the people who don't actually have conscious thinking or thought processes happening in their head or a stream of conscious thinking. So those people existed and they ruined it for everybody. And we need to just let the guru, breathy guru douchebags go be breathy guru douchebags. And we need to call them out at every stop and just be like, no, you're just an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. People stop listening to you. Just, just go away. That needs to happen. And we need to just eliminate that ability for people to do that. And how you do that is through education, licensing bodies, and I'm not saying all of these things, certifications. Yes, I do believe in there should be like an open forum of, you know, a realm where people can practice and, you know, do things without licensure or certification. But licensure and certification help give legitimacy. So some people need that. So there needs to be a, a balance of both. There always needs to be a balance. Part of that balance needs to be eliminating what I call the, the breathy guru douchebags from having a platform or being able to tout all their bullshit because there's people out there like, Oh, if you plug this USB stick into your computer, it'll prevent you from getting 5g radiation, blah, blah. No, that's not how this works. That's you need to go. You need to go learn 
wave theory and how frequencies work and how all of these different, like you need to go study that because clearly they have no idea what they're talking about and people need to stop giving those people money in the same vein. I'm be the first one to tell you there are absolutely, absolutely people out there who can channel, can read tarot cards, can cast runes and give you outcomes and forecasts. There are people out there that can do remote viewing. There are people out there that can do out of body experiences and tell you all sorts of weird shit. People that can astral project and whatever, whatever common terminology you want to put on it. There's absolutely, I've met people that can do it. I've seen people that I've had experiences of my own where I've essentially divined. I've, I've remember divinity. We measure divinity by stories of the past when really divinity is measurements of the future or stories of the future, predictions of the future. So divining is to look into future events. I've divined tattoo on my arm. Didn't know what it was going to be. Told my tattoo artist, and this is an anecdotal story and you don't have to believe me at all. Told my tattoo artist, here's what I want. Come up with whatever you want to do. And you know, when I come in, I'll see it and we'll get it. That's how I've always done it with my artists. They're awesome. I trust them. I've learned a long time ago that it's better for the artists to do what they want to do instead of something they don't want to do. Cause that's just bad juju and you don't want that tattoo because if they don't want to do it, it's just going to be an angry, they don't, yeah, you don't want that juju anyway. But I told her, Hey, here's what I, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want. Here's some examples. It was two things I had drawn. Do you figure your own thing out? However you want to do it. I booked the appointment months out, about a month after I booked the appointment, had a random dream kind of a waking, you know, there's, I practice these things. So it's not like this just happens randomly, but look down at my arm, saw a tattoo. Here's my thought process. There's no way that's it. That that's, that couldn't be what she came up with because I would have changed this and this fast forward, get to the appointment. There it is. That's the, I, what I saw on the table was exactly what was on my arm in the, so I didn't change the things. Because I, I liked the item. I liked what she came up with. Con, subconscious me and conscious me was like, oh, that's so much different than what I what I myself drew. That the controlling part of me was like, oh, I would have changed that. Like I wouldn't have. But I really liked what she came up with. So go ahead. I love that. That's awesome. You came up with it. Totally trust you. Let's do it. Don't need to change a thing. Also for the fact that I don't think anything should be perfect. So fast forward, get the tattoo done. It's all starting to heal now. Look down the other day, exact same idea that I had in my mind. Huh? This one piece comes up and touches here. And I, oh yeah, this is that part that I may have thought about changing, decided not to in the end. But if you ask me, I divined that. I had a dream that was like, oh yeah, this is the thing, but there's no way. That's what happened. But it's an anecdotal story, so it doesn't fucking matter. The reality, though, is I've heard that story over and over again, and I've personally experienced it in my own mentality. I've personally experienced it with people reading tarot cards, people reading runes for me. I don't put massive life decisions on these things. I don't just go, oh, because the card said this, I should absolutely do this. I use them as tools. 
It's another process of, th- of thinking, of thought. But there are certainly individuals out there that have some modicum of control of this other process. And that's the translation point that I talk about. That it makes sense to me that there is a differentiation, again, between consciousness and thought. Thought is a factor, a faculty, a ability of consciousness. And the more we exercise it, the more we memorize things and, you know, have thought processes and study things and work on our, our mind, what we can quote unquote call the mind, that, that mind space of thinking, the higher level of consciousness or the, the better ability of consciousness we have. It's my own personal belief. And I've practiced it and it kind of works because in modern science, we've now understood that there are these frequency ranges of consciousness, what we call consciousness. And these are based on what's known as brain waves, which are neural oscillations. You have a free and it oscillates back and forth. That's a wave. That's a wave function. When something has a cross and a traft, yes, a wave. Everybody knows what a wave looks like, but it has a, a crest and a trough, crest and a trough, crest and a trough. Waves have to have function. There's a center line, goes over the center line, comes back underneath the center line, over, under, over, under. That's a wave. That's how we measure frequency. Frequency is the the distance, quote unquote, or um, yeah, we'll just call it distance. Distance, quote unquote, of the top of the crest and the bottom of the trough. That measurement is the frequency. That's the oscillation. In Hertzian world, the world Hertzian um, was the person. It's that's the measurement system that we use for most wave functions. Is the Hertzian frequency system gives us a? It's kind of like time. It just gives us a, a standardized measurement function, um, and it's an actual commonality one because it. I won't get into all of it, but almost everybody uses Hertzian frequency to measure wave function. Specifically when it comes to electronics, um, MFR, which is uh, electronic radiation, um, light sources, you know, the, from the hal- halogen light to the LED light, from the sun's light, those are all frequency ranges typically measured in the Hertzian frequency factor. Well, using the Hertzian frequency factors, or frequency measurement system, we know that our brains have oscillation zones, and we've named them. At the very top, we have gamma, and I'll just list them out. Gamma, beta, alpha, theta, delta. Gamma is like, um, well, I'll give you the hertz mean frequency ranges, and these are... Some sources say it's, you know, this to this, other sources. We've kind of figured out delta, theta, and alpha. Like, we have those pretty zoned in. Like, everyone almost completely agrees on the frequency ranges. Beta and gamma, people are, there's some people on the fence about. Does it start here? Does it start there? Most people say gamma starts at 40 hertz and goes all the way up to 60 hertz, maybe even 100 hertz. That's where things get a little little weird. Like, maybe, I guess gamma goes all the way up to 100 hertz. But gamma, the gamma brainwave or neural oscillation frequency area is of supreme conscious, like, focus. Anyone, you know, when you're doing puzzles, when you're doing, you know, really 
deep active thinking, not like deep meditative thinking, but deep active thinking, like really highly focused, really, you know, athletes, runners, although runners weird because you can actually get into a lower brainwave because you get into a meditative state, but active thinking, that's gamma. Beta, similar, but not as supremely focused. Like gamma is really highly focused thinking. Beta is focused thinking. It's almost like um, the way I best describe it is the difference between gamma and beta. Beta is 13 hertz to 30 or 40 hertz. Gamma is 30 to 40 hertz to 60 to 100 hertz, somewhere around there. But beta is like if you were doing a puzzle, because we'll just use that as an example. Beta is like if you were doing a puzzle and you're really focused on like just getting the puzzle done. But like if somebody walks over, you can have a conversation with them. You know, maybe you're having a conversation with somebody while doing the puzzle or, you know, you're, you're working on a Sudoku and you're also like watching a game or those types of things. Like you're, you're multitasking. That's kind of the, but it's like, you know, you got to put some thought and some effort into this. That's, that's the beta range. Um, if you're working on a spreadsheet, but also like pulling information from here to there, gamma is when you're doing those things you are like singularly focused that like if somebody walked up and tried to talk to you, you're not even paying attention. You might just be like, yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. And you're just like focused on that one piece of the puzzle that like, okay, I'm going to get this one piece. I'm trying to find the spot or really focused on a spreadsheet you're working on. And like only that, uh, a batter at bat focused on the, you know, the pitcher and the ball, but nothing else matters. Zoning out the crowd. That's, gamma compared to beta. Beta is like the have a conversation while doing a puzzle. Gamma is I'm just doing this puzzle. I'm just doing this action with all of my mental faculty that I can muster. Then below that we have alpha and alpha is anywhere from 8 hertz to 13 hertz and alpha is like every day like going about life, doing things, listening to a lecture. You might be an alpha, you know, you might be zoning out a little bit, but like still listening uh, listening to this podcast, you're probably somewhere in the alpha range. That's kind of like every day walking around, doing stuff, watching TV you really care about, listening to some music. That's alpha. And then below that from four to eight hertz is theta. And below that zero to four hertz is delta. Now, alpha, theta, and delta were like the original three that we kind of worked with. And then delta range, anything below 0.5 hertz uh, gets into what we call epsilon, and I'll get into that here in a minute. But theta and delta are important because those are where we're doing uh, sleeping. That's that's the range we measure when, if you've ever done a sleep study, any of those things, they measure your theta and your delta wave uh, brainwave activity because those are the differentiations between REM sleep, rapid eye movement, and non-REM sleep, or like real deep sleep where we're doing like oxidative stress repair, DNA repair. Um, anything that measure those watches people wear measuring, you know, what type of sleep you're getting, that's measuring theta or delta. I'm, I don't know all the specifics about how those watches and wearables do all that measuring, but specifically theta, again, REM sleep, dream state sleep or dreaming sleep, delta, no dreaming, just out. You're just sleeping. Body is just at rest. Mind is at rest. There's no extra pieces going on. The body's just doing repair. Well, theta, the theta 
frequency range also has to do with daydreaming. So if you've ever been in a daydreamy state, that's a theta state. If you've ever been in a meditative state, that's a theta state. Delta is more of, again, you're just out. But again, below 0.5, we have this world we call the epsilon range. And this is the range of like parapsychology. Weird stuff happens. Like this is where people say like they're in a OBE or they're out of body experience or they're doing remote viewing. There's a theta and a, a delta, but it's usually like deep, deep delta. And this is where the body is just like asleep and the mind is doing its thing. And again, going back to thoughts and consciousness, once you understand that we have these different ranges of, of brainwave states or oscillating neural oscillation um, frequency ranges, you start to understand that, oh, not only is the body regulating a bunch of stuff that I'm just not aware of and not really worried about, like my heartbeat, its rhythm, breathing, blood pressure, all sorts of other stuff, digestion. My mind, brain, the actual brain thing, where we think our mind is or where we you know, commonly refer to as our mind space, which is actually our brain tissue, it's doing its own thing too. It's figuring out like, okay, I need to be in game. I need to be like focused, super focused. Got to get stuff done. Got to really focus on getting this puzzle piece where I need it. Or beta, like, hey man, what's going on? How you doing? Talking, doing a puzzle, blah, blah, blah. Working on a spreadsheet. Alpha, I'm just, you know, walking down the street, doing some stuff. You know, maybe I got to go shopping. All right, I need this. I need that. Okay, all right. Blah, blah, blah. Where'd I put my wallet? Theta, or I'm sorry, alpha. Yeah. Did I skip beta? No, I didn't. Okay. Gamma, beta, alpha, theta getting ready for sleep. I'm falling asleep on the couch, daydreaming. I'm staring out the window. Maybe I'm meditating. Delta, I'm out like a light. I am completely asleep. Don't bother me. You can't wake me up. Leave me alone. So we have these frequency ranges and it's doing this without even, we can manipulate it. You know, we can do things like binaural beats, isochronic beats. I'll have to get into those a, a, another time, but even just our thought processes of Thinking about the awareness set. Oh, what if I think about, I'm going to relax my entire body. That is a meditation you can do. Or just a practice you can do before you go to bed. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to individually each piece. It's actually a, there's a Zen practice that does what's considered a single limb and then full body. It's how do you relax your entire right or left arm or just your hand? Letting everything else be normal, but just completely relax that one piece of your body. And then using that knowledge, how do you do it with the whole body at a time? The Monroe Institute, who is a great source for all of the information on this stuff. Um, they, the Dr. Monroe created uh, what's known as HemiSync, which is complicated, but I'll, again, I'll have to get into all that another time with binaural beats, isochronic beats, HemiSync and these types of things. But really a heavy study into brainwave patterns and how you can relax the body and then the mind kind of wakes up and it can do its thing. And that's this stream of consciousness, this idea of thought. And then like you can maybe project images and all of a sudden the outside world stops existing. And instead we have this place known as the mind space where we're doing all this thinking, all these thoughts are occurring and happening 
And that world really opens us up to a lot. It can help us process deep emotions and figure things out or just generally forget about the day and, and move into like this creative weird space of like, Oh, colors and, you know, cats and crazy. Just there's this differentiation between them, the body and the mind. And that world is known as thought and thought is an exercise of consciousness. It's a skill of consciousness and it can be refined and, and used to come about with a better awareness. So when we talk about self-awareness, we talk about mental health, we talk about depression, we talk about self-help, we talk about all these different things. It starts as that translation piece in thinking, in thought. So I challenge you, after my long ramblings as usual, to look into your thought processes. How are you thinking? You know, do you like to like doze off and, you know, have a quick nap in a dream state? Do you like to daydream? When was the last time you just daydreamed or when was the last time you got super focused on something and was in that gamma state? Where are your thought processes normally? Like, are you a sleepy person? Are you a hyperactive person? Getting a better control of our thoughts gives us a better control over our mind space. And that's an exercise of self-awareness. It's an exercise of consciousness. And then developing that stream of consciousness, even though it can suck sometimes, I believe is a factor of getting better control of our self-awareness or having more self-awareness. But beyond that, getting a better control of that translation between what's going on with my body, what's going on with my mind, and then what's going on with everything above that, the, the spiritual, other, whatever you want to call it, bioelectric fields, parapsychology, metaphysics, whatever you want to call it, philosophy in general. Again, whatever you want to call that stuff. It's got to happen in that translation point which is why I'm kind of putting out there this idea thought is the language of consciousness. And we all know how important I think language is and specifically translation and how we use language and the language we surround ourselves with, as I've talked about in episode four, the idea of thought, the idea of controlling our thought processes, being aware of our thought processes, how they can be manipulated how someone can coerce us and, and kind of take, remember, I don't ever like when people take our control structures away or our control over something. I've used subterfuge and know how to use subterfuge in martialism. Remember, all war is a, is a simulation of the mind first. War is a, a mental exercise before it as actual like physical war. One of the things you learn is subterfuge. And it's been used throughout history as doing this, you can have this exercise in the mind that allows you to get into your enemy's head or, you know, those types of things. Again, eliminate connotation from it. By understanding your own thought processes, you can start to have similarity in structure in understanding someone else's. Starting with something like the idea that not everyone has that stream of consciousness you might have. Not everyone is having a conversation in their head like you are. There's some people out there that don't do that. 
Some people are having less of a conversation than you might be having, or some people might be having more of a conversation than you might be having. I find those people who suffer from um, panic attacks and, and have a lot of anxiety have a stronger or more active stream of conscious thinking, but don't maybe have full control over it so that it is jumping around and really maybe putting them into a spiral or into that panic or anxiety attack, increasing their cortisol levels, dropping their serotonin, producing a neuroepinephrine because they think they're in a fight or flight state. Whereas the individuals who stop and maybe do a breathing exercise, when they feel that coming on, they have a better understanding of, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I see what's happening here. Let me stop that before it gets it gets worse. They might not be able to, you know, I know a lot of people that just can't fully control that. That could be a chemical imbalance. That could be the world of psychology and psychiatry and, and medical where it's a faculty of something, you know, maybe it's bipolar. You really just can't control it. Maybe you do need medif- medication. Everyone's different. Remember that, you know, and I don't, I don't advocate either way anymore, but learning a breathing exercise that might give you a little bit better control over that. Not a bad place to start, right? It's not a, not a bad idea. Um, but it is a practice of taking the awareness out of that mental space we think is in between our ears in our squishy brain matter area and putting it in our hand or sending it to our feet or, you know, a lot of meditation, again, breathy guru douchebag issues. They try to explain this idea of in your mind's eye or move your awareness to your heart. Yes. The answer is yes, but you got to explain it. People, you got to tell people why you're doing that. You can't just be like, Hey, everybody will understand this. Move your awareness to your heart and you'll open yourself to more emotion and love and light. Now that's a, that's a bad description. What you've done is given a poor description of what's happening. Instead, you might better. Yes. Some people will get that and they'll use it and they'll run with it. But you also need to give the description of, hi, I'd like you to place your breathing in the area you feel is where your heart is. I'd like you to breathe, place your awareness of breathing. And first, take control of your breath. Inhale, exhale. Take control of that. Take control of the parasympathetic nervous system because that's how we interact with it, by taking control of our breathing. And then I would like you to place the awareness of where you're breathing to where you think your heart is. Okay. I want you to breathe into that. Or maybe I want you to breathe into where your hand is. I want you to focus on moving your awareness of where you're breathing, where the inhale and the exhale are coming, where the inhale is going, where the exhale is coming from to this place. Maybe you use your heart, maybe your forehead, whatever, whatever. And then by doing that, I'd like you to then process your emotional states of accepting this feeling or this emotion because that's the epicenter from it, from the system we're using. Maybe it's a chakra-based system, which works on the chakra points, which is why they would have you breathe into your heart or your heart chakra or that area. That's a better description. You can easily throw that out there up front. Be like, hey, when I say this, for those of you who are logically minded, 
think about it this way. For those of you creatively minded or very like emotional or open people, think about it this way. You got to give both words. We really need to learn that in this space, specifically mental health and self-awareness. And when we're talking about depression, remember, eliminate the connotation. Like I always say, give better descriptions. You can use the guru, the breathy guru douchebag descriptions if you also are using more scientific, more rationally minded, logical minded descriptions as well. You, you know, yes, know your audience. I guess some people are going to gravitate to one or the other. But if we want to legitimize these things, you want to legitimize psychological experiences of parapsychology, of psi, of out of body experiences, of remote viewing, of tarot reading, of divination by any factor or, you know, those types of things, even spiritual, um, uh, experiences like, you know, uh, the Christians use laying of hands, those types of things. These all have similarity. We just don't look at the commonality behind them. And so we need to have the necessity of understanding that how are we processing our thoughts? Because that's where it all starts. That's the translations. Thoughts are language. It's the language of the mind. That's our thinking. It's how we translate things from the stuff we don't understand, like the orbits of the planets, how that affects gravitational pull on the water here on the earth, just like the moon controls the tides, but everything has a gravimetrical pull. So each planet's going to have a slight pull here that way, or this to the other thing. And the planets do this orbit and all this crap. We're in a heliocentric orbit and the sun's flying through space, pulling us behind it. So we're just space trash hurtling behind the sun, like a, like an urban tumbleweed, the, plastic bag that gets blown up by the car that goes pulling, you know, flying past it or just space trash. But that, that idea of thoughts and the processes thereof, how are you thinking, you know, have you looked into brainwave patterns and how your brain oscillates in these frequency ranges that control how your brain's working? You know, are you focused? Are you not focused? The whole realm of ADHD and those types of things, that's what they're working on. The medication you're taking is to keep your brain from jumping around all of these different brainwaves. And I'm oversimplifying here. And again, not a doctor, can't diagnose or prescribe. But it's controlling those functions so that your brain doesn't have this huge right hemisphere, corpus callosum, electrical storm that overwhelms the left. And then the left has to try to catch up. And then there's a desynchronization. There's a lot that goes on here. It all has to do with thought processes and thought processes beget awareness and awareness gives better understanding. So we can use that idea of thought and consciousness. We can separate the two. Thoughts are just a skill. Thinking is just a skill of consciousness. And the more we exercise it, the more conscious we become and the more conscious we become, the more aware we become. And then yes, to Cartes, I think therefore I am. And if I think I'm not, I can work on that because that's where I was. I was at the point where I think therefore I am, but I think I shouldn't be. Not that I thought I wasn't. I mean, I thought I wasn't a bunch of things. I still think I'm not a bunch of things, but that's where the power of thoughts really lie. You know, when people talk about the secret or, you know, all that crap, you know, uh, power of thinking, power of thought. And a lot of it's just a money grab, but 
thoughts themselves do have power. Understanding that power for yourself is much more important than believing in some stupid system somebody created to get your money. That's the differentiation I have. Also understanding that the world works on balance and it does it through asymmetry. So if you want to use the power of correlated thinking, which is, uh, I forget what they actually call that, but like um, power of believing or whatever the crap that is. If you're manifesting, quote unquote, this whole thought process of like, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be a millionaire, blah, 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 blah. That's great. Do you understand that there has to be an asymmetrical balance to that? So you could be creating 10 people in poverty for you can have a million. And look, I'm all for capitalism and all, I'm all for people making money. When we use a specific tool of thinking, we must understand that chaos is the one begetting all of this to create order. And then the ordering is going to be asymmetrical balance. What are we really doing? What are we causing? What turbulence are we causing? Instead, I find it's a much better practice to focus on the control of one's own thoughts. And thus there can be no fluctuation from an outside source. That is the truest power of thought or control over our thoughts is not so much to just willy nilly, like be like, I'm going to manifest this use, you know, positive thinking. How about you manifest a control over yourself by understanding your thought processes, by understanding how you think, what things are affecting your thought processes, you know, going back all the way to episode four, the language you surround yourself for with, are you, allowing control over your thoughts by surrounding yourself with bad language from outside sources that are making you uppity, making you aggressive, making you depressed, not depressed, but the clinical sense of depression, making you melancholy, making you sad all the time. You know, are you giving away your control of your thoughts? I think a lot of people are. That's why I'm bringing it up and that's why I'm discussing it. So I think that there's a lot of people out there that don't have control over their thinking or at least the idea, the skill of understanding when their thoughts have gotten away from them. Instead, I think there's a lot of people out there who are totally just allowing reaction to happen. Just, it's just cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, just action, reaction, action, reaction. Some bad happens, bad reaction. Some bad happens, bad reaction. And just never break the cycle. They just continue to let this shit happen to them over and over and over again. Like, oh, this, people, this person screwed me, so I should go screw someone else. Like, just this constant fluctuation of what is called, uh, from my favorite um, character in The Expanse, the churn. That idea of just things are just churning. You get caught in that churn. And no one takes the time to be self-aware and one of the first practices of self-awareness you can have is, wait a minute, stop everything. Why am I thinking this way? Remember, I don't like why questions. So this is a very important one. When we use the question why, we're looking at a, a personal experience. It's when we ask why, we're going to get a personal thought process, which is why I don't like to use the word why. 
Instead, I like to use how or what or reframe the question. But in the specific sense, I'm going to use why. Because I want that personal piece. I want the personal opinion. Why get why begets opinion? That's kind of how we think about it is when you use why, you're going to get an opinion. Usually, I don't want an opinion. I want facts or evidence or logic or reason. Here, I want a re- I want opinion. Why am I letting why am I letting other things affect me? Why are these other things affecting me? That is one of the first sets of questions you can ask yourself when it comes to having a self-awareness moment of being like, why am I thinking this way? What's, what's causing this? Is it because I got cut off in traffic on the way over here and I'm pissed because of that, that I'm kind of being snippety with everybody? Am I suffering from a toothache and it's just gnawing and nagging at me and it's making me very aggressive? Am I totally drunk and uh, making stupid decisions? And that way, those, that's why you ask why in that situation. You want an opinionated answer. You want your personal opinion to yourself. Ask yourself why questions sometimes. Don't ask other people why questions. You're going to get bad answers. You're going to get opinionated answers. Unless you really want to know someone's opinion and how they think about things, that's, you can use a why answer. It's called subterfuge. It's one way to go about interrogation and questioning. They use that. I know it sounds shitty, but eh, it works. So ask yourself, why am I thinking this way? Because that question right there will give you the opinionated answer. And then you need to question that answer. Here's the second piece. No one ever tells you. They tell people this when they talk about uh, manifesting dreams and, you know, the correlation of thought and to think positively. It can be used they don't tell people how this is being used correctly. The correct use of this is to question the question or question the answer from the original question. And that's why they say like, Oh, if you just, you know, you want to have a positive outcome, think positively, but then continue to think positively, even if it doesn't happen, that's actually the correlation piece. It's you want to make the choice. Remember I talk about choice and change episodes eight, and nine choice begets change. If you choose to have a a positive outlook, eventually the change will be positive because you're looking for that, that change by making those choices in this representation. When we talk about why am I thinking this way? What's caused me to think this way is how I usually word it because I don't like why questions, but then when you get that answer, question it. So just as an example, why am I, why am I thinking this way? Why am I being aggressive? Or why am, why am I thinking this way? And then the answer might be, oh, I've been suffering from lower back pain all week and it's making me a bit aggressive and, and short-tempered. Okay, done. First question answered. Why am I being so aggressive? Because that was the answer, right? I'm being aggressive because I'm, and I'm being short-tempered because of my lower back pain. So then I have to re-ask, why am I being aggressive? Aha, my lower back pain. It's pissing me off. It's really annoying. I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm, t- I'm tired of feeling run down because I'm not getting enough sleep. Any Again, the, the anecdotal answers could be, there's a plethora of them. There's a lot all over the place. Or like, oh, I had a death in the family, so I'm feeling sad. So I'm just, you know, or, you know, my cat puked on the carpet this morning, pissed me off because I had to clean it up and I was late to work. Again, but then ask the secondary follow-up of 
Why is that affecting the way I'm thinking? And how do I change it? Because that's where the real power of thinking is. That's the real power of thinking inside the mind space. It's a simulation. You can then process all sorts of different outcomes. You get to change the outcomes that are happening because you're changing the choices being made. And if you change the choices, eventually choices bring on decisions and that correlates the change. And then we can beget the change we want by first being aware to ask the question of why am I thinking this way? How has something else affected me and made me think this way? Rephrase and change the question. I I say that all the time because repetition is the mother of all skill and failure is its father. But that is the power of thought is that it's an exercise of consciousness. And if you want to have better control over your consciousness, you need to start asking questions of your thinking process, of your thought process. Why am I thinking this way? What's making me think this way? How can I think differently? How should I be thinking about this instead of the way I'm thinking about it? How does someone else's opinion affect my thought process? How is the outcome affecting my constantly being aware of, oh, these things called thoughts. And the fact that I might not have full control over them. And that's okay because I can, same way I can get control over the parasympathetic nervous system, the part of the nervous system that I don't control, part of the autonomous nervous system, by taking control of my breathing, I can also become aware of my thought processes, which will give me a better control over my brainwave states and patterns or frequency and thus maybe have a different outcome. If I'm just in a dreamy, sleepy state, not paying attention, I can wake myself up, cup of coffee, and then have a better alpha, beta, even maybe a gamma brainwave frequency state that I can really get focused and try things. We do it constantly. We just don't think about why or you know how we're doing it. When you grab that five-hour energy, when you grab that energy drink, when you grab methyl B12, which is really the thing you're using and you could just take methyl B12. When you drink, when you grab that cup of coffee or that espresso, you're using a chemical reaction to get a more enhanced focused brainwave state. We just don't think about it that way. We just think coffee, good, tasty, focus, those types of things. When you take a nootropic, I take a nootropic before I record every podcast episode and I drink a cup of coffee because it's just part of my process. I know I'm doing those things to get a better stream of consciousness to be more uh, coherent, more have a better memory function. It's a nootropic. That's why I take those things. So we do it constantly without thinking about it. And I, that's where I, I state do more thinking or tame hindrances and neurokinetics think. So please go do some thinking. Uh, You know, just think about everything. Think about you're thinking, think about your thought processes, but really try to define your thought processes to yourself because part of language, which is what thoughts are as a language is definition. And when we have good definition, we have good language and by having good language, we can have better translation. And by having better translation, we have more control over the situation. So define your thought processes, look at where you might have some shortfalls or maybe, you know, or place towards your strength. If you want to be on the more positive side of things and like, where, where's your really strong, you know, are you stubborn? Well, that's okay. Cause stubbornness can, you know, be a good positive thing. It can, it can have a, a strong correlation towards making choices that are 
for you and, you know, not controlled by the group mentality, not controlled by the, you know, stupid freaking, you know, mainstream media's, you know, bombardment of stupidity and all this other crap that we don't care about. And we're, you know, the whole, you know, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, Twitter, I guess MySpace doesn't really even exist anymore, but LinkedIn, whatever you want to, you know, that whole social media thing, like that's bombarding us with opinions and thought processes and stubbornness can be good to be like, nah, I'm not going to listen to any of that crap. You know, that's where I challenge you to go and look at what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses in thinking? How can I redefine my thought processes? How can I define my thought processes? And how can that help me in my, my adventure or my seeking of self-awareness and uh, maybe a different mental health state or, or a better control of our mental health state? It's, it's all possible is what I'm really here to say, but we got to start with thinking. And to me, thinking is taming hindrances in neurokinetics or taming hindrances. Taming this world of stuff we have no control over, be it the nervous system of the body, the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, autonomous nervous system, the frequencies of brain waves in our head, or the other stuff that we don't even really get into, the, the woo-woo, the, the other it all starts with thoughts, and that's the translation point. So please go think about your thoughts. Have some. Do your best, you know. And uh, uh, as always, I'll catch you on the next one. Uh, before I go, though, I say it in the outro when the outro stuff, but uh, please go check out taminghindrances.com. It's constantly under revision. There's always, you know, we're trying to, trying to put up new stuff all the time. We have an archive now. Uh, under the archive is just a laundry list of, different stuff from um, studies on water and water's crystalline states to Adam Savage and tested and just some entertaining creative, you know, person out there doing stuff to uh, product reviews for getting better sleep or, you know, nootropics. Like I talked about with the nootropics I take, the archive has all sorts of stuff on it. Um, we talk about HP Blavatsky, Madame Blavatsky. There's links to that stuff for looking into metaphysics and uh, theosophy and, there's different philosophical things, all sorts of stuff on the archive. Um, and if, if you have time, please leave us a review. You know, we love hearing from our, our listeners. So again, taminghindrances.com. Um, and again, send us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, like, and subscribe, leave us a comment. We love hearing that. And if you, you know, if you have stuff you want me to ramble on about, leave that too. Cause I'm really good at rambling. Take care and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.